Okay, everyone, excited about our message today. Uh, we are continuing in our study of the book of Acts, and last week we left off at a, it's like, a, it, it's like those old television shows where it's at the climax, and it's to be continued. And you're like, no, no, you, now I got to wait a week to see the next episode. Of course, these days, you just go to the next click, right? Um, but back in the day. So anyways, we are in Acts chapter 2, and this is such an important and exciting uh, part of the book of Acts, and actually a part of the history of Christianity. And um, really, Peter presents the first preaching of the New Covenant gospel message uh, in Acts chapter 2, up through verse 36. And then now what we're going to see is the first response of the people to the gospel uh, message. And um, that's what we're talking about today. So uh, first few verses of the book of Acts, or Acts chapter 2, we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and speaking in multiple languages, which is a miraculous thing. And then Peter explains in his message, this is what happened there. Uh, This was a prophecy that's fulfilled. This is an ushering in of the kingdom of God to here in Acts chapter 2, the Jews. In Acts chapter 10, it will be to the Gentiles. And this is a great and dramatic reversal of Genesis chapter 11, the confusing of the languages, now it's a uh, renewing of uh, one language, it's a renewing of a worldwide unity, a uh, forecasting that the kingdom of God is not just for the Israelites, but for all nations, which most of us are happy about that, as I don't know of too many of us of of Jewish descent in the crowd here today. Um, So, amen. Okay, and then we have the message focusing on Jesus from Acts chapter 2, verse 22 on. And we have the message centering around the life of Jesus that was accredited to the audience through miracles and uh, signs and wonders. And the audience doesn't dispute that. And they know that Jesus was an amazing man, but he wasn't just an amazing man. He was crucified and he was buried, but then he was resurrected by the power of God. And, he, and Peter is saying, we have seen him alive. We are witnesses of this fact. The resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact. It's not made up, up in the Bible. It's not made up by these apostles. Historians have all, from all time have tried to dispute the resurrection and have been unable to. It is a fact that all of us must deal with. Amen? And of course, we want to deal with it in total belief and incredible rejoicing at what that means. So let's pick it up here in verse 36. We're going to read verse 30, um, uh, verse 36 through verse 40, 47, and I'm going to read, actually, I'm going to read verse 36 from the NIV, and I'm going to switch to the New American Standard Bible in verse 37. So verse 36 says, Therefore, let all Israel, and this is the conclusion of Peter's message, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, 
both Lord and Christ. Now, it's interesting, this emphasis on you crucified him. This was just not a one-time thing in this verse. Peter, all through the first number of chapters, when he speaks, he is strongly emphasizing, you guys crucified the Christ. You murdered him. Okay. Now, they could feel like, uh-uh, those Roman dudes, they're the bad guys. But why was what Peter's saying is true? goes back to, well, why was Jesus crucified? Why was he crucified? For the sins of mankind. And who of those listening to Peter at that day had sinned? At least once. Everyone, right? And we would include ourselves in that crowd. So just like Peter said, you crucified him, today we hear from the Holy Spirit that we crucified Jesus. This emphasis is also in chapter 3, verse 13. It says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned, in case you were blaming this on Pilate, Pilate had decided to release him. But you were the ones who insisted, crucify him, crucify him. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Chapter 4, verse 10. We're sneaking a little bit ahead. It says, Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And so after a while, the priests are getting a little sick of this message. And in chapter 5, they say this. In defense of themselves, they say, verse 28, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. They're like, Peter, we're tired of this. You keep trying to convict us. You keep trying to say, we're guilty. You did it. You crucified him. And what did Peter say? Oh. I'm sorry, does that make you feel bad? Forget it then, because I wouldn't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Peter's like, oh my goodness, yes, of course I'm trying to make you feel guilty about crucifying the Son of God. Number one, because you did. Number two, because this is the gateway to freedom from guilt. This is the pathway into repentance and refreshment and rejoicing. See, our flesh always wants to fight against conviction. And yet we have to say, flesh, behind me, Satan, because when I get convicted, this is when I can repent and I can feel joy and freedom and refreshment. Amen and amen? So this is Peter's the first gospel message. Now let's read their response. Verse 37 from the New American Standard. Therefore, oops, I already had it here too. I'm sorry. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Let's be listening for their response. Amen? They were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? 
Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. See, their response is not only human response. God is calling in the middle. The Spirit is working, but there is human response. With many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. This is awesome. This is the foundation for the church. This is a picture of their response and for what happened, how they responded, and how they felt, and what it was like to be there. It's a beautiful, amazing thing. This is our vision. This is, we are going back in our history in order to know how to go forward into our future. Amen? This is what we want to see in our day. This is the kind of church that we not only want to be, but that we must send into the world. I don't know about you, but this is a little bit of a different picture than what you'll find in an average Sunday morning 2,000 years later, okay? But this is where we are from. These are our brothers and sisters, and this is where we are headed. So let's talk about the first gospel response. There's cut to the heart. There's what shall we do? There's repent. There's baptized, and there's devoted. This is what we're going to try to eat up here in the next however number of minutes this Lord determines. All I know is that it says that Peter just with many words went on and on. So we're going to use a few words here. Okay, number one, cut to the heart, pierced. I love the word pierced there in the, in the, in the, in the New American Standard. Here's the facts. Our sins nailed Jesus to the cross. It was our sins that pierced Jesus to the heart, and not figuratively, and not just emotionally, but physically, emotionally, and spiritually. The spiritual pain, of course, probably the most deep and painful pain, the separation from God that our sins put into Jesus. You know, I remember, so therefore, since our sin pierced him to the heart, Jesus' love for us should pierce us to the heart. Amen? That's how they responded. 
You know, I remember the first time I really got open and honest about all my selfishness and drunkenness and impurity and greed and idolatry and people-pleasing. You guys ever read Galatians 5, 19? There's a, a sin list in there. It could be the Wikipedia page of Joel Pede, right? That's so I was like, oh, my, oh, yeah, that. And then I started to be like, well, it doesn't say that. And they're like, please. It does say and the like. And I'm like, okay, you got me. <laughs> because I wasn't laughing. Um, actually, I was crying because of what this meant to Jesus. Jesus, yes, did he do it for the whole world? Of course he did it for the whole world, but he did it for you and me, and he would have done it for you and I if we were the only ones in the whole world. And it would have had to be just as bad. Well, it wouldn't have been that bad for just my sins. I mean, maybe a little slap on the wrist because I'm a very good person. Air contraire, oh sinner, right? Um, this is personal to Jesus, and Jesus must become personal to me. This is how uh, we get cut to the heart. So can you imagine a convert? This is all about becoming a Christian. It's all about becoming a disciple and being converted. Have you guys ever heard of a Cutlass Sierra? Okay, that's an old Oldsmobile, right? I used to have a Cutlass Sierra, and it was so old that... The, remember when the roofs used to hang down because uh, they were so old and the, it was torn? That's what I had. It just brushed up against my hair. And finally, someone's like, dude, you need a new car. Okay, cutlass here. Could you imagine, though, a cutlass conversion? A conversion with no cutting of the heart. Unfortunately, that's an that's a popular conversion in today's religious world. Just be converted. Just say a prayer. Whether your heart's in it or not, just say a prayer. A cutlass conversion. Not true. Not a true conversion. Secondly, here's this question. What shall we do? So they were cut to the heart, and they're like, what should we do? What should we do? Um, first, first observation, who's asking the question? Is Peter saying, hey, you, let me track you down. Here's what you need to do. Is that what's going on? No, they're like, hey, we're the ones who put Jesus on the cross. We're the ones who God is not real happy with, that we just crucified his only son. What shall we do? There's the ones asking. I remember when Carter was a little baby boy. He was a little baby in Omaha, and... I had almost died when I was a little baby because I had stopped breathing uh, in the crib. And um, they rushed me to the hospital. And for some reason, by the time we got to the hospital, I was breathing again and changed back to my normal color. This is, I don't remember that, but this is what the old folks say, okay? And so I've always been afraid of that with my kids. I think we're all afraid of that, but I was like, man. So Carter wakes up one Sunday morning, I remember as it was yesterday, and he's sick, he's not feeling well, and he starts, he starts not being able to breathe, right? And, and we can't shake him out of it. He's crying, and he can't get his breath, and he can't breathe, and he's turning different colors. And we're like, we're getting in this car, and we're rushing to the emergency room, and Christy had him. And the emergency room, you walk in, and there's no one at the desk. 
And I'm like, hey, hey, emergency. This is the emergency room, and I have one of those emergency things. Where are you? And I'm like, and I'm getting through the doors, and I'm going back into the back room, and I'm calling, and I'm like, and I'm like, where is everyone? Right? Uh, and finally, I got their attention. I'm like, oh, I was not happy. I'm like, this is an emergency room, and I have one, and you're not here. <laughs> okay? And uh, 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 we got Carter, and he ended up being okay. But it's interesting to me how often it's the wrong people who are actually urgent to get right with God. Do you know what I'm saying? It's the ones who are lost who should have the urgency. The ER didn't come around our neighborhood that day. I'm like, hey, we'd like to invite you to the ER. Might you have any emergencies? I think we could help you. That's not how it works, right? And yet we're the ones in sin. We're the ones lost. And yet it's other people who are more urgent for us at times than not. That's not these people. They're like, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? Okay? Um, they're aggressive. They're knocking down the door. I must get right with God. What is not in this question is arguments. Well, Peter, you're so mean right now. Why are you, why are you so mean to me? They're not arguing the conviction. They're not defensive for themselves because they know the truth, right? They're not excusing. They're not blaming. They're not minimizing. Oh, it wasn't that bad. I was just a little cross. They're not minimizing. They're not criticizing. Uh, Peter, you could have delivered that a little, you know, easier to hear. Maybe shown a video or something because we like videos. Uh, they're not in this passive, apathetic state of heart. They're in a urgent, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to respond? I'll do anything. What, here is what is in this question. Biblical belief. This is what biblical belief looks like. Number one, complete and total ownership. I completely and totally own my sin. I'm a sinner. I've sinned. I'm not excusing, minimizing, blaming, etc. I own the cross. That was me. I did that. He did that for me. Complete and total ownership of the cross and complete and total ownership of the resurrection. I believe it. You've seen him. 120 of you have seen him and more than that. And it's true. Okay? That's belief. Complete and total humility. What must I do? What must we do? Total humility. Complete and total surrender. You don't get this, like, well, what must I do, but if it's too much, I'm not going to do it. You don't get that from him, do you? It's not the sense. Complete and total surrender. Jesus was all in for me. I'm all in for him. There's no middle ground. Um, complete and total eagerness. Eagerness. So if these things aren't there, then there isn't biblical belief. Could you imagine a conversion without faith? Conversion with no personal faith response, and yet in church after church, 2,000 years later, you have infants being baptized with no faith, no cut to the heart, no repentance, and it 
is accepted as true. I'm going to be open with how I really feel. That's what boldness means, openness. It is not true. It is a false teaching, and it's a false doctrine, and thousands and millions are deceived and going to hell because of it, and yet we sit here apathetic in our sharing to them. Wrong. It's the teaching and tradition is wrong, but it's also wrong for us not to do anything about it. So let's do something about it, amen? Let's hold out the word, the truth, and the life unapologetically and very clearly, very clearly, amen. And by the way, you can't make up confirmation 13 years later out of a, oh yeah, there should have been faith and repentance there at the baptism, shouldn't have been. Let's make up a new doctrine and call that tradition. You can't do that either. Two wrongs don't make a right. How about let's just go back to the Bible? Okay, that's faith. That's what must we do. Number three, repent. Peter said, let me just sum all this up into one a beautiful word. Repent. Repent. Metanoia. Meta, transform. Noia, mind. But it's not just the mind. It's the heart, the soul, the character. The mind in the, in the cultural was not just our thoughts. It was the essence of who you are. Okay? So we like to separate this. Well, I know it in my mind, but I can't get it into my heart. Okay? Sorry. I mean, that's true, but that's not what, it, what the culture represents or the Bible represents. That makes sense? It's the essence of who you are. You are transformed from a caterpillar to a butterfly. It's complete and total in a beautiful thing. Um, can you imagine a repentance-less conversion? Think about that. Okay, I'm going to be a Christian now, but I'm just going to keep on living the way I've always lived. I'm going to be, I want to not go to hell, but I don't want to change the things that are taking me to hell. Right? I tried that. Anybody else tried that? I tried that one. Woo! You know, I'm enslaved to impurity, and then I come to Jesus. I even get baptized. But guess what I did the day when I was baptized as a 15-year-old? And I'll get into that in a little later. But guess what I did the day, the night of? Baptized after church in the afternoon. Guess what I did the night of? Immoral with my girl, non-Christian girlfriend. So was there repentance? Is that a complete transfer? Of course not. Right? But that's common. That's accepted and normal. But not normal according to the scriptures. Okay. Repentance-less conversion. Um, and then baptize says repent and be baptized. Um, baptism is a, a, can be a controversial issue in 21st century. Let's try to make it not controversial. Let's just try to make it biblical. So let's just read not into the message what we want it to say. Let's read off of the page what it just says, and let's let it say that. Amen? That sound like a good way to read the Bible? I think so. It says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, um, for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, baptism is a funny English word that really the word is baptizo, that instead of translating it into the English word, which would be immerse, the word is immerse. Um, 
they translate it baptism. Why do you think they didn't want it to say immerse? Because the church wasn't immersing at baptism. They were sprinkling. They were pouring. Okay? Does that make sense? But the word is immerse. It means all the way under. Okay? Um, for, now, okay, who likes grammar? Oh, yeah, grammar, woohoo! You know, it's like Vikings game and grammar. But I know there's some teachers amongst us. There's even some English teachers. Oh, they scare me. Woo! But we're going to do a little Greek grammar, okay? So prepositions. Who's got what a preposition is? Mercy. <laughs> prepositions. Show our preposition slide. Okay, these are prepositions. Now remember, I'm an engineer by education, not an English major. So forgive me, oh holier than thou's English majors. But I think this is fairly true. All right, so prepositions about how we're relating in our position to, to something. You know, the kid jumps over the box, around, he's into, he's out of, he's in. Okay, I don't need to go through all that. You can read. Okay, but I want to make a special point with my special pointer of something. See this? Uh, preposition into and out of. Whoops. Into and out of. Okay? Now, what's that got to do with what I'm talking about? Okay? Uh, let's go on to the next slide. This is some Greek grammar. All right? Yeah, this is so exciting. <laughs> Love it. So this is, these are Greek prepositions, okay? Uh, this is ek. Uh, that means to come, this is the box, okay? Like that kid was crawling in and out of, okay? Ek means to come out of the box, okay? And this one right here, this is, who knows it? Ice. Thank you, Grayson. I know some other you do, but you're being modest. Okay, this means ice. That means, that word means into, going into the box, ice, okay? It never means coming out of the box. As much as you want to twist it, it can never mean that. That's not what it says. Say, what in the world does this have to do with it? Well, Acts 2.38 here says, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. The word is translated for is ice, E-I-S, into, toward, for, into. See, what's happened is the evangelical churches today who do practice baptism with faith, they try to change this and say, be baptized because of the forgiveness of sins. Because you're already saved, be baptized. But the problem is that that's not what the verse actually says. It says be baptized into Christ, into the forgiveness of sins, into the Holy Spirit, the Spirit into you. The preposition is ice, and it was written that way, and that's what it means, and that's what it means today. And matter of fact, even the Baptists know that's what it means. And this is, this is, by the way, what, what the tradition that I grew up in and what I was taught. Because I taught to become a Christian, you just say a prayer. You just believe. That's when you come into Christ. 
Repentance, good luck, good idea. Baptism, yeah, good thing. Do sometime later on, okay? Um, as a result of, okay? Listen to this. George Beasley Murray, Baptist scholar, in his book, Baptism in the New Testament. This is, he is respected as the foremost expert on baptism in the Baptist church. He says this, in light of the foregoing exposition, so this is this conclusion of this book that's about that thick. In light of this foregoing exposition of the New Testament representations of baptism, the idea that baptism is purely a symbolic rite must be pronounced not alone unsatisfactory, but out of harmony with the New Testament itself. He, I'm not saying this is what I'm saying. I'm saying this is what a Baptist scholar is saying, that we teach baptism wrong. He says, admittedly, such a judgment runs counter to the popular tradition of the denomination to which the writer belongs. The extent and nature of the grace which the New Testament writers declare to be present in baptism is astonishing for anyone who comes to the study freshly with an open mind. So he's saying, I've been wrong, the church I'm in is teaching this wrong, and yet, and I've talked to Baptists, I went to a Baptist grad school, and I've talked to them about this, and i talked to Baptist ministers here in town, and they say, yeah, we know, but if we were to take that to the church, everyone would freak out. And I was like, I'm freaking out right now of what you just said. Have you no fear of God? Have you no respect for the word of God? You're treating the message of God with contempt, and you know it, and you're doing nothing about it. That is so wrong. It is the absolute warning that Jesus and Paul and Peter constantly give to the New Testament. What's going to happen with all the false teachers? And false prophets. We must simply read the Bible like George Beasley Murray says, with an open mind. Now, let it say what it says. Amen? Okay. Now, if you're from that background and you're visiting us for the first time today, welcome. <laughs> but, you know, let this, maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe there's a reason. And when I first saw this message, I was like, and you know, because I, I mean, my dad's a preacher, and I'm a good kid. You know, I know how I responded when I first said, I was like, there's no way. And I was all like up in it, you know, there's no way you got to be baptized to be saved. We're saved by faith alone. And by the way, it was Martin Luther who added alone to faith, certainly not this Holy Spirit. Because faith is never in the scriptures alone. It's always with actions and repentance and lordship and surrender, if it's real faith. James chapter 2, right? Okay. So, and so, you want to know what they said to me? They said, okay, well, we respect that's what you think, but what does the Bible actually say? And I was like, <laughs> And I was just like, and I'm like, this is what it says. 
in, in a moment of the Holy Spirit, I believe, I, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And then I said, where's the water? Right? Are you with me there? Okay. Whew. The, so, the, so here he says the promise. This is a promise that if you repent and be baptized, you will, you will enter into Christ, which means you enter into the forgiveness of sins. That's why the Bible says be baptized into Christ over and over again. And the word, phrase in Christ is one of the most oft repeated in the New Testament. Okay, um, The promise is for forgiveness, for mercy, for light. Um, the ark before the flood. Let's talk about prepositions for a minute. In the Old Testament, pictures of baptism. How about the ark? What preposition is important for the people? Either in or get into the ark, or you're, you're out of the ark. Okay? So this is the ark. Noah, for 100 years, saying, please, ice the ark. Get into the ark. Amen? And what do they do with the message? Whatever. I'm going to rain around here, dude. You're crazy. Okay? They were, heck, they were out of, or they were outside of. Okay? How about the Passover with the Exodus? And what did God say? You got to get blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Let's talk about prepositions. What was important? You're either in the house or you're not in the house. And what did that mean for the firstborn? It meant life or it meant death. And we have no right to change that message today. The blood on the doorway before the Passover. Let's just get my, I'm going to get my kids in this house. Amen? Um, be baptized. The warning. It says with many other words, he warned them. And he pleaded with them. He, he admonished them. What does the NA, NASB say? He, 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 uh, uh, he, uh, uh, it says with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, exhorting them. We need some more exhortation around our religious world today, don't we? Anyone else tired of lame sermons that never really say anything? Okay, we need some exhortation. So he kept on warning them, if you don't repent and be baptized and get into Christ, you are outside of forgiveness. You're outside of the Spirit. You're outside of mercy. You're outside of being saved and therefore under the wrath of God. Oh, that's mean. You chose to sin, dude. That's a consequence of your sin. Okay, don't blame me, okay? Um, all right. Can we think of a baptism-less conversion? Like a repentance-less conversion? Like a faith-less conversion? Like a cut-less conversion? No, it should not be that way. We must just read off the page what it says and obey it, okay? And so these people, those, verse four, those who accepted his message, which means there were some who didn't. Some weren't ready yet. Some hadn't come to full ownership yet of the cross or of their sin or of the resurrection or of the Christ. But those who accepted this were message were baptized. And when were they baptized? When they got around to it, okay? Okay? Why have you not been baptized? 
because I haven't gotten around to it, okay? Dude better get around to it, okay? And no more sneaky baptisms, praise the Lord, okay? But ones who are all the way in, if, if you don't understand any of that, please see Nacho Libre um, many, many times over, okay? Um, so, and let's, then let's finish with devoted. They, they didn't just get their conversion on and then just go back to doing whatever they, no, they were devoted. They continually committed themselves to the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And because they were continually, not just a one time, but a continually recommitting, committing and recommitting themselves, because we all start to flag a little bit, right? We all start to kind of get distracted or get discouraged, or, and we have to be like, boo, what am I doing? Recommit, right? That's what, that's what that verb describes. Because that they, this, this group was filled with what I like to call family magic. It's exactly what Jeremy described Friday night. Oh, there's, and I believe it's of the Spirit. It's not because we're like all great friends. It's of the Spirit. There's a magic. It's a sense of awe. There's a sense of there's something God going on here. Sense of togetherness, sense of incredible joy, of great praise and ongoing conversions. Does this sound like the boring church that you grew up in? No, I'm sorry. Maybe you're, the one you grew up in was super exciting. I'll speak for myself. This just wasn't there, okay? And, uh, um, but I, I, I hope it's here. It's what we want to be here, amen? Um, a devotion less conversion? A devotion-less conversion? No way. Okay, so the response to the gospel is not just a one-time response, but an ongoing response to Jesus. You say, like, oh, this message is boring because I already did all that. You know what? You need to do it again. I'm not saying you need to be baptized again, but I'm just saying this is the pathway toward ongoing transformation, being cut to the heart over our struggles, not excusing or minimizing, coming to full belief that I can be transformed. What must I do? When's the last time you, old, old disciple, asked, what must I do to grow or change? Good question, huh? Convicting. Um, uh, 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 repentance and baptism. We're not going to get into it today, but if you study Romans 6, Colossians 2, baptism is simply a death to the flesh, a burial, and a raise to the new life. This is all the Holy Spirit that Grayson's going to teach us starting next week. Um, this is walking in the Spirit. It's death, burial, resurrection. What do I need to do tomorrow? I need to die to the flesh. I need to get it all buried, and I need to resurrect to the Spirit. Amen? Every day. That's how we walk with God. That's how we are ongoingly transformed. Amen? And amen? Okay, listen. If this is new to you, or if you're like, man, I, that sounds, I, I need, I'm convicted. Here, we have this study series, Okay? And all of us are equipped on how to, so it takes a lot of the points that were here and it breaks them down to help you not just understand, but to start to live out. Does that make sense? And so if you're visiting with us or if you're kind of lost track or whatever, grab someone and say, I want to do that follow me thing that Joel talked about. All right. And you'll have many people that will be eager to be urgent with you, but not for you, because it's up to you. It's up to you. Okay, so let's pray and think about these things as we remember Jesus in communion.